The reading is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 13 to 29. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. It's been a bad winter for weather. I think it started probably the beginning of December, the bad weather. We tend to think of it kind of around about Christmas time. But as early as the 5th of December in Norfolk, there was the biggest tidal surge in 60 years. And it swept away a cliff on which a number of seaside bungalows had been built in Hemsby. And the following weekend, crowds flocked to the scene to survey buildings left at crazy 45-degree angles as the cliff on which they had been built was swept away and they just kind of slid down the slope to be left standing on the beach. Bizarrely, just the rear wall of one property was left intact with its windows, its patio doors, the rest of it gone, disappeared down the cliffside. When you see pictures of the damage caused, it very much looks as if the bluff on which they had been built was sand. You can see the sandy slope, you can see the sand in the background and you can see that they've kind of slipped down on sand and are standing on the beach. And you wonder whether the developers that built properties that close to the coast on a sandy cliff had had read or heard the parable of the wise and foolish builders. 
Actually, they probably did know the story, but chose to disregard it anyway, because that's the point. People who hear Jesus' words and listen to what he says and ignore him, they're like the people who build their houses on sand. Listening is one thing. Acting on what Jesus says is quite another. But Jesus is unambiguously clear. If we fail to put his words into practice, there is a grave risk that our lives are going to fall apart. If you want security, the ability to weather and withstand life's storms, then you'd better not just pay attention to what Jesus says, but you'd better make sure you do something about it as well. Walking the talk. That's what this closing section of the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Words are easy. Real change is much harder. So said Ross McEwen, Chief Executive Officer of the Royal Bank of Scotland earlier this year, as he talked about the bank turning over a new leaf and starting to put its customers first. He knew how easy it was just to say the kind of thing that people expected him to say, how hard it would be to deliver a change on the basis of his words. One thing to talk about change, another thing to implement it. We have a saying, don't we? Actions speak louder than words. And it's because we know how easy it is to say what people expect us to say. How easy it is to say the words that we know people want to hear without really meaning them ourselves. Empty words. Empty promises. It's the easy route to take with the wide open gate and plenty of room for the crowds of people who follow that road on their way to destruction, Jesus says. The narrow gate with the difficult, arduous path only used by a few people, that's the road that leads to life. And to take that road, you need to walk the talk. You need to match words with deeds. You need to be people of integrity. People who mean what we say and say what we mean, who listen to what Jesus has to say, don't just ignore it or, or put it in the back burner, but do something about it. Words, recognising their importance, the need for truth, the need to live out what we say and what Jesus says. A couple of years ago, David Cameron defended the status of the UK as a Christian country. The extent to which that's true is quite debatable, really. Back in 2001, the census declared that over 70% 70 of people said they were Christian. Ten years later, in 2011, that proportion had dropped to 59%. But anyway, what does it mean to be a Christian? It certainly means more than simply having been christened in church as a baby. From the earliest days, Christians have been known as believers, people who put their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and for eternal life. Yet Jesus here on the Sermon on the Mount makes it quite clear that that faith, at the core as it is of what being a Christian is all about, has to be backed up by a lifestyle lived in accordance with the will of God. Faith that declares Jesus is Lord that is worked out in a way of life lived in accordance with Jesus being Lord. And I think David Cameron came a bit unstuck on this aspect of his speech when he described himself as a committed but only a vaguely practising Christian. 
I scratch my head about that. And I expect Jesus would as well. How can you be a committed, yet only a vaguely practising Christian? I suspect that Jesus would say that's actually a contradiction in terms. Because the only yardstick of commitment is putting your faith into practice. If you're going to be committed, you've got to live it out. And of course that begs the question, what's meant by putting our faith into practice? We did a survey this morning, some of us, about you know, how often we, we say our prayers and read our Bibles and all that kind of stuff, the kind of religious duties that we do. And that, that may be part of what Jesus is talking about, but I think he's looking at a deeper level than that. He declares he has no time at all for the false prophets who are doing great things in the name of religion, prophesying in Jesus' name, casting out demons in Jesus' name, performing loads of miracles in Jesus' name. These were people who kind of ticked all the religious boxes. Yet Jesus declares himself unimpressed, dismisses them as evildoers, says he's no idea who they are because they hadn't done the will of his Father in heaven. They talked so much about speaking with authority in Jesus' name, yet it boiled down to actually living something out in practice. They were great at speaking the religious language, calling Jesus Lord, Lord, using his name to great effect. But Jesus says that entering the kingdom of heaven is not what you say, it's what you do. Putting those words into practice. A matter of doing his Father's will. And that goes beyond what we do here in church on a Sunday. It goes deeper than the religious observance. So Jesus warns against false prophets, sheep's, wolves in sheep's clothing, who say all the right things in church, but who don't back that up with how they live outside of church. When he talks about good trees only being able to bear good fruit and bad trees only being able to bear bad fruit, he's not talking about measurements of spirituality such as church attendance, Bible reading habits or your prayer life. All these things are important, but they, they can be just the outer clothing. What are we like on the inside? The lifestyle. The way in which our inner character or nature manifests itself in how we live on a daily basis. That's the test. Is there good fruit in terms of the way in which we live our lives regularly? You can't pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. It does all boil down to the extent with, of how much we live matches up with what we say. So what does our Father in Heaven look for? And the trouble with talking about putting your faith into practice is that you talk to different Christians and we all have different expectations about what is important and what isn't important. You know, which rules are you expected to obey and where does the emphasis come? Jesus, I suspect, actually, would boil it all down to love as the basic test. Loving God, and after that the most important thing we can do is love our neighbour as ourselves. Do this, he says, you fulfilled the law. St. Augustine famously summarised this by saying, love and do what you will. If you keep silence, do it out of love. If you cry out, do it out of love. If you refrain from punishing, do it out of love. Love should be the motivation 
for whatever we do. And God looks deeper than the things we do on the surface to look at the motives and the principles we live by. We look at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart and he looks for love lived out in practice. It's a good principle, nice and memorable. Love and do as you please. It does have slightly awkward areas. If you, if you get into the whole realm of sexual attraction, loving and doing as you please can lead you down some quite difficult routes, really. It becomes a bit of a minefield. If I'm in love with someone, I might feel like doing all sorts of things with them that would be totally wrong. That's because love gets tangled up with sexual desire and the two get quite confused. We're not very good at distinguishing the two. But there is a difference between loving someone and wanting them. And there will be times quite clearly when loving someone means not doing whatever I fancy doing at the time. Sexual intercourse really should only be the ultimate expression of love and commitment and trust 100%. So I suppose one test of genuine love is not what I feel like doing because I feel attracted to someone. The genuine test of love is to what extent is it sacrificial rather than self-indulgent. True love will be sacrificial. And that's what God looks for. And of course, self-sacrifice is something Jesus would come to talk about later as he taught that genuine discipleship is a matter of taking up our cross and following him. Jesus never, ever said that following him would be easy. Just remember those words about the narrow door and the hard and difficult path that leads to life. He didn't lower the bar of commitment so that as many people as possible could sign on the dotted line. He put it up there because he knew that living the Christian life was not and never would be the easy option. It's something, commitment to Jesus, faith in Jesus, following Jesus, something that needs to be taken with the utmost seriousness because it is a life changer. Nothing remains the same if we follow the Son of God. I wonder how many of us here have ever signed up for something on the internet and ticked that box that says, I have read and accept the terms and conditions without actually having bothered to read the terms and conditions. I guess there are a number of us who've done that. Not least because sometimes when you get to them, they go on and on and on forever and are incomprehensible. But there are terms and conditions to become a Christian. You need to recognise what those entail because God holds us accountable, actually. If you sign up, you'd better be prepared on a daily basis to live it out in practice, doing the will of my Father in heaven, says Jesus. That's what it's about. I've never worn a WWJD band. Anybody here has worn or does wear WWJD bands? Yeah, some of you. Okay, what would Jesus do? It's, it's a good thing to have, actually, just as a reminder. You know, I'm carrying my Christian identity around with me in whatever situation I find myself and wherever I go. A reminder, in terms of my interaction with other people, my guiding principle for how I live my life should be What would Jesus do? What does Jesus want me to do? It's a phrase first coined in 1896 by a Kansas congregational minister called Charles Sheldon. There you go. 
famous family. He published a novel called In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? And in the story, a town is revolutionized when Christians pledge themselves earnestly and honestly for an entire year not to do anything without at first asking the question, what would Jesus do? And maybe, as part of living by that principle, the book was never covered by copyright. So when it got to be popular, lots of other publishers sold it dirt cheap, with the result that sales topped 30 million copies, and it is apparently amongst the top 50 selling books, best-selling books, as a result of that. They made a film in 2010 with that same title, What Would Jesus Do?, telling a similar story. Not everybody's happy with the phrase. Rowan Williams pointed out that the slogan shouldn't be regarded as a quick way to getting the right answer. Jesus isn't there just to give us a good example in every possible situation. He says what matters most is not just Jesus' example, but his whole life, his whole being. We need to respond to him by being willing to stop and let Jesus challenge us right to the roots of our being. And he says we can find the courage to let this happen because we are let into the secret that we are in the hands of love, committed unshakable love. Inevitably, Rowan Williams has that gift of making it seem far more complicated. But his observations take us to the heart of what Jesus is really all about. The point is that the terms and conditions of being a Christian entail following Jesus, living life his way, seeking to implement God's will in our lives 24-7. What would Jesus do? What's the will of his Father in heaven for us? What's the sacrificial, loving thing to say or do in this situation? What does it mean to say, Jesus is Lord of my life here and now in this encounter with this person or this situation in which I find myself? What does it mean to say, Father, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That's nice and vague, isn't it? What about in me? Let your kingdom come, let your will be done in me. It's not about having water sprinkled on you as a baby. It's not about being able to recite the Nicene Creed. It's not about knowing the Lord's Prayer or even praying a prayer inviting Jesus into our life so that we can go to heaven when we die. It is about the kingdom of God. Letting God govern and direct our lives in every situation. Giving him the deciding voice in every decision-making process. Allowing him to call the shots. Making it our aim, first and foremost, before anything else, to do his will. If you say or sing, or pray, Jesus is Lord, make sure you live it out in practice. Actions always speak louder than words. Recognise that empty words take us through the wide door. Words spoken and lived out take us through the narrow door and the difficult path that leads to life. Make sure you build the house of your life 
on the rock of obedience to Jesus Christ as Lord, seeking to listen to and follow and implement his words. It's what he calls us to do. Let's pray. Lord, in this period of Lent, as we take a step back and reflect on who we are and how you call us to live for you and to follow Jesus, help us to be honest. Honest in admitting those ways in which we let you and ourselves down. not pretending or claiming more for ourselves than we can really deliver. Thank you that when we are honest, when we say words that come from our heart and really express the level of faith and commitment that's true to us, you work with us to build on that. Thank you that you always start where we are. So meet us tonight with our half-hearted discipleship. With the words that sometimes we only half mean. And create within us a genuine core of faith. Might be just the size of a grain of mustard seed. But create that within us, Lord. And help us to live that out in practice. Help us to make it our aim to do the will of your Father in heaven. And give us grace to take up our cross and follow you on the narrow and difficult path that leads to life. In Jesus' name. Amen.